Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Good morning. I was thinking about our series right now, Kingdom Citizens, and our message this morning, earlier this week, as I was driving in my car, and it came at kind of an odd time. I was just listening to music as I was driving out to the suburbs, and I had my radio set to a worship station that I have on my phone, and a couple songs in was just a song of praise, praise to God, declaring who God is. And it struck me because I realized that as I had been processing our sermon series and what we were going to talk about this morning, I had been listening to probably four or five consecutive songs of worship that were really all about individual faith. I'm free. I'm forgiven. I'm beloved. And I realized that that narrative is really the narrative of faith that I grew up with. And I see now how that's influenced the way that I read the Bible for a really long time. Jesus loves me. Jesus came to save me for heaven, starting in my youth. And listen, that's not wrong. And those are really beautiful sentiments. And I love to remind myself of those truths when I need to. But over the last few decades, I've been so blessed to learn a deeper narrative, a broader story. But I still acknowledge that that was the messaging that shaped my early understanding of faith. I was also taught growing up in school that in this country, we have a separation of church and state. And so I took that statement and I compartmentalized. I put my faith over here. Here's Jesus, here's my prayers, here's my faith. And over here was government, world, politics, stuff like that. And that also, impacted my reading of scripture. I think sometimes we've become so separated in our time now from the context of New Testament history that we can read the words of Jesus and the words of other New Testament writers and we can lose how deeply political some of these passages really are. So last week, Dave Van Winkle launched us into a new series that we're calling Kingdom Citizens. And he started us out with an important reminder. This series is not about how to vote. This series is not about what to think, but instead it's about how to think as followers of Jesus. How do we think about the relationship of politics and faith when we as Christians proclaim our allegiance to Jesus as Lord, to the kingdom of God? And it's not about separating ourselves from the political issues of the world in which we live. It's also not about looking to our nation to be our savior of all that is broken. So Dave set the stage for the relationship of faith and politics, and we think the best next step is to decide what it is that we see in the life and ministry of Jesus as Lord. What are the politics of Jesus Christ? So you might say, if you were like me for a long time, wait, hold on, Jesus is about love and spirituality, not earthly things like politics. Yes, Jesus is the son of God. And yes, Jesus is love. Jesus preached love. Jesus lived out and demonstrated perfect love. But Jesus is also a real man who entered into a real place in time in history, in political situations that were tense, 
and he made real impact on society. And so we cannot separate the two. Jesus spoke and acted in response to the political situation in his time of earthly ministry in a way that we still learn from today. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today, the politics of Jesus. Because Jesus demonstrates a radical political stance. That drive I was taking the other day, it was me going out to school. I'm in seminary right now. And I went to the library there and I knew I needed to learn more on this subject. So I grabbed a stack of books from people much wiser and more scholarly than me about the politics of Jesus. At the same time, I'm in a seminary course on the book of Revelation. And so I have a stack of books that's also full of political understanding about what the New Testament was saying for that reason too. I used to think of the book of Revelation as a bunch of really bizarre imagery, hard to understand, but the commentators are saying this is much more like a political cartoon with imagery that the readers would have understood to have deeper meaning. And it's really uh, subversive political language that's going on. And so between these two stacks of book, books, my mind has really been blown when we look at the context in which Jesus entered into our world. So let me give us a little bit of context as we start out, and then we'll look at the politics of Jesus. So at the time, Rome occupied the region where Jesus' earthly ministry was taking place. And Rome was quickly taking over more and more of the known world. A few decades before, the early uh, emperor Julius Caesar uh, had passed away, he was assassinated, and after his assassination, he was deified, he was declared to be a god. And because of that, his adopted son started to call himself, Augustus Caesar, started to call himself son of God, which would make a living emperor linked with God language, like a deity. And that was a really big deal. So we have this situation where people were calling Caesar Lord, they were bowing to him, they were making statues and paying tribute and treating Caesar as a son of God. So we also have a situation where religious institutions, including Jewish leaders, were trying to figure out how to interact with this political empire of Rome, this superpower, and we see corruption, we see power struggles, we see a political tense situation. And into this spot, Jesus entered into our world and spoke some radical political statements. So I'm gonna start with a couple of words of Jesus that when I used to read them, thought they were um, just really good news for me, uh, but I didn't hear the political implications of what was being said. So keep that context in mind. And let's first consider when Jesus started out in front of a congregation as recorded in Luke chapter four, and he unrolled the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and he spoke these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he declared that those words were being manifest at this time through Jesus, through himself. That was a huge statement. He just announced that the reason for his ministry was radical change, that oppression would be, uh, people who had been under the weight of oppression would be set free. And the really big deal here is that Jesus just declared to have the authority to do that kind of radical release from oppressive systems. That was a huge statement in that context. 
And he pronounced that he would do that work, liberation to the oppressed under the crushing weight of the empire. That is politically strong language. And that he had the authority to make that pronouncement was a really big deal. Number two, let's look at the words of the Lord's Prayer. It's a beautiful prayer that we are all to pray, but listen to it now with your political ears on. It's he is teaching his people to pray for the governance of God to be above all, the just will of God to be over all. Jesus says, thy kingdom come, meaning God. God, will your kingdom come? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying you are sovereign over all, so much more than any empire on earth. If Rome declares to be the strongest empire on earth, don't forget about the one who is over earth and heaven. This is declaring something so big. It's a radical statement. And one of the scholars I read said, actually under Roman law, this would absolutely have been considered treason against the state to say the Lord's prayer. And that is what Jesus taught. And then thirdly, in words, of course, Jesus allowed the statements and we hear followers referring to Jesus as the true son of God. And we know now that that was a political statement over and against the emperor himself. So beyond words though, I wanna point to a wonderful book that I read. I highly recommend, Brian Fulton recommended it to me. Um, and it's by uh, Dr. Obery Hendricks and it's The Politics of Jesus. And uh, Dr. Hendricks points out seven strategies that were political, political strategies of Jesus. And these are strategies in action. We don't have time for all of them, but I wanna point out a few and highly recommend that book to you. So Dr. Hendricks is talking about ways that beyond words, Jesus's actions demonstrate political strategies that we as followers can follow as well. Number one, Jesus treats people's needs as holy. They matter to God. We talked about this some in our Mark series, uh, but that Jesus time and time again went beyond physical healing when he was healing people. He healed their bodies, but also restored their souls. He pronounced forgiveness, right relationship with God over them. He honored their value to God. He saw the needs of people that others would ignore or didn't know um, what to do with them. He saw those needs not as, as uh, beneath him at all, but instead as holy. They mattered to their loving God. And so Jesus acted accordingly and called followers to do the same. Listen, don't just speak, clothe, feed. And it's as if you're doing this unto me. These are holy needs. And again, back to the Lord's prayer. When Jesus teaches the disciples to pray for the bread that is needed through the day, it's because that need, that physical need is holy. It matters to God. Treat humans as if their needs are holy. They matter to God. Number two, Jesus time and time again had the political strategy of giving voice to the voiceless. There are ample examples of this throughout scripture, but the one that I love so much is when uh, Jesus was walking with, a, with an important uh, person in society to go and heal his sick daughter in love. And a woman with the issue of blood came up to Jesus and touched his robe and was healed. And he stopped this crowd that was following. He stopped everything and he listened to her 
whole truth. And we know that he gave voice to this woman who would have been considered voiceless in that society because the gospel records her situation, which means that the people who were there heard her story enough to be able to record her situation in the gospels. He heard her whole truth. He gave voice to the voiceless. In our time now, we hear this and we join in the cry with the Black Lives Matter movement. And within that movement, I love the cry to amplify black voices. That's the political strategy of Jesus. Amplify, amplify voices that have been uh, voiceless before. That is the active act of space making for the voice of others to be heard. Number three, as a political strategy, Dr. Hendricks points out that Jesus would expose the workings of oppression. Expose the workings of oppression. He says this, Hendricks does, it's important to talk about peace and justice and fairness and equity, but we must also, must also act against the systems that stand in their way. The Apostle Paul, <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 4.20, the Apostle Paul writes, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. And I think that in our time, this is an important reminder that we partner with God through the Holy Spirit to work against powers and principalities of darkness that hold people hostage. We get to partner in that work and actively engage to bring true change, bring shalom and flourishing. So Jesus would be willing, think about him clearing the temple when he saw financial corruption had crept into the temple of God. When he knew that political systems were oppressing people, he wasn't afraid to speak and act against any of those things. But I also note that beyond that, Jesus was willing to expose the oppressive thoughts or the actions that came out of a heart that was wrongly postured. Time and time again, Jesus exposed the motivations of the heart. So this is yes, against big systems, but it's also in interactions with individuals that Jesus is willing to expose oppressive thought patterns or systems and call them out for what they are. Number four, and I think somewhat linked to the last one in my opinion, Dr. Hendricks points out that time and time again, Jesus is willing to call the demon by name. Jesus was willing to attribute that which was evil to the work of the enemy. If you see something that devalues a human life made in God's image, that is against God's plan. Jesus is willing to call evil out by name, casting out demons of oppression in individual lives, but willing to call out evil in broader society as well. Now, this book that I'm referencing says a lot more about this, a lot more eloquently, but as I was considering our time together this morning, here's what was on my heart to say to us. I feel a burden with this when we use the word systemic. This word is true when we say, for example, that a system like education has been marked with systemic racism, or when we say that there is systemic bias in how the media portrays women. These things are true. It means it has deeply infiltrated an entirety of a system through history. Systemic is an important word and it, with systemic injustices, I'm sorry, this is a little bit of a tongue twister. With systemic injustices, it is true and we need to call those out, but I feel like there's a potential that as a society, we have misplaced that word to believe that it also means permanence. And that is not true. 
We think that as a society, perhaps, that it's so much a part of the system that it defines the system itself. It's so deep in the system, it impacts the whole thing, yes. It's shaped the system, infiltrated, yes, it's true. But I think of the example of um, my garden. I have a little garden uh, at our cabin in Indiana, and it underneath, as I was picking out weeds, I came to notice that underneath these weeds, there was this gigantic root system that was going along all over underneath our entire garden. And as I kept trying to pull it out, I got to the point where even under that, there was a deeper root that was like bigger than my thumb. It was this huge root. And as I pulled it up, I started to endanger the root system of my hydrangea and of the pachysandra. And so I started to pull out the pieces that I could see, but I knowingly left the larger under root because I just couldn't pull up the whole thing and damage everything. And that's how I treat the weed that is deeply embedded in my garden. But listen, it's very important to know as Christians, must, much of what we have labeled as systemic is evil. Name it for what it is. It is an evil. As Christians, we cannot accept it as so deeply established in the system that it cannot be undone. It is not permanent. Unlike that weed in my garden, we have to ha not just hack at the visible signs, but we have to know that we have the power through the Holy Spirit to believe in a better way where our systems can be cured of a deeply embedded evil and that there can be a different future where our systems are rid of the evil that has infiltrated them. We are not powerless to get after that big root. We are not powerless in Jesus' name to go after it and to have our systems be made whole again. The power of God is stronger than the power of the enemy. The power of God is stronger than the power of the enemy. We come against systemic areas of injustice in Jesus' name with the faith that God's justice will rain down over everything. Do not confuse systemic injustices with permanence. Systemic is evil and we come against it. There is no root of systemic injustice in God's garden. And we believe, as Dave said last week, that one of our stances as believers, as followers of Jesus, is that we are signposts towards a different future, a fuller future. And if that's the case, we cannot accept systemic injustices in the fullness of God's shalom. Jesus was willing to address any issue that got in the way of human flourishing, that violated God's sense of justice, and anything that worked with evil forces to oppress people. He treated people's needs as holy and the spiritual needs as well as physical needs because they matter to God. That is the political strategy of Jesus. And it's way beyond an election. It's about every single day. It's our call as followers of Jesus to follow in those political strategy day after day, whether it's an election year whether it's the Roman Empire or American government, whether it's a, a totally different nation, wherever we are, we can still posture ourselves to follow the strategy of Jesus. I don't usually end a sermon with our scripture reading. It might seem a little backwards, but today it felt appropriate. Jesus as the true son of God, entering into our world with its politics and everything and structures and systems, Jesus, Son of God, enters into this politically charged moment still today through us. And he entered in with humility, but with this power and might to enact, to enact God's justice, love, and mercy. 
So we end today with a reading from Philippians 2. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. That is political strategy of love and action. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. King Jesus, we pray to you now that we will believe that this is so true, that this is a place of your demonstration, your political strategy demonstration of humbling yourself, considering others' needs as holy and so important. You bring in your rule and reign through us. Help us to partner in your redemptive plan. Bring true justice, true freedom, true flourishing to this city, to our world, for everyone. Whatever that means in a poll booth, let that be the posture of our hearts in our day-to-day walk. Not just a concept of uh, being kind to our neighbors, but actual um, action with those around us. Radical activism for the flourishing of everyone. Have that be our highest demonstration of our love for God. Loving God by loving others. Jesus, thank you for your demonstration of what it means to be um, a radical activist for the flourishing that God has for all of humanity. Help us to have a creative imagination for what that can mean and how we can participate in that for your kingdom in breaking. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.